0: communityoxford.com, or check us out on social media via Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Again, thank you for joining us today at the Community Church Oxford Podcast. A lot of times I really saw my life based on who I thought my father saw me as, my earthly father. But what's so beautiful about that promise is this morning is it's not about what anybody else thinks we are. It's not about... uh, any, anything that anybody else thinks about. It's about who our Father says we are. Amen? And I'm talking about our Heavenly Father. I'm so thankful this morning for a, an amazing earthly father that taught me respect and honor and love and how to love my mom and how to love my wife and how to love my children. I'm thankful for all those things. But church, I want you to hear me say this this morning. My father was not a believer most of my life. And so because of that, I didn't know the love of Christ. But when I came to know the love of Christ and I came to know the unconditional love of God the Father, that changed everything. That changed the way that I loved others on most days. That changed the way that I desired to to be like Jesus more than anybody on earth. And I'm so thankful this morning that the promise of that song that we just sang together is, is what matters most is who he says we are. Amen? And I don't know if you know this. You've probably heard me say this before. It's, it's a little cheesy. Maybe you would say it's a little corny, but here's the reality. If God had a refrigerator, our faces would be on it. Amen? Because we're his children, and he loves us, and he cares about us. And so this morning, I'm not sure who that word is for. Uh, maybe that word was just for me, and if it was, thanks for experiencing it with me. But reality is, is this, is that We need to understand in these days. My friend Jay talked about it just for a few moments. Man, during the midst of pandemics, in the midst of division, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of uncertainty, man, can I just tell you the one constant, the one consistent thing that's happening in our life is that King Jesus is still on his throne, amen? And that God still has the whole world in his hands, and we can trust the fact this morning, that we have a good, good Father in heaven who loves us and cares about us, knows every detail, every circumstance. And I'm so thankful for my wife reminding me even last night as we were at dinner with, a, with, with friends of ours. And we were talking about where we are as a country and with, what things are going on. And she kind of made a statement and it, it kind of caught me off guard. And she said, you know, where we've gone as a country, it's almost like we ought to just start over. Because we've gotten so far from where we started and, and maybe maybe getting a redo. And I'm sitting there thinking at 43 and I don't know if you know this or not, but I married an older woman and she's forty five and I'm just sitting there thinking to myself, Well, Beth, if we start over, that means our retirement's gonna go out the door and 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 you know how we are as as humans, we start thinking about all these things, and it was like Thank you, God, that my wife has a faith that says, you know, what? it doesn't matter what the stock market does. It doesn't matter what retirement we have. It doesn't matter what savings is. God, it's about what you want for us. And so I pray this morning that our goal would be today and these days ahead of us is that we would want to honor our God who's also our Father. Will you pray with me just for a second? Father God, I thank you for this day. It's so good to see so many family and friends today. And God, I just pray that you would just open our ears and open our eyes to your scripture this morning. God, for those who have the privilege of being called dads and fathers, God, I pray that we would take full advantage of that opportunity. God, for the men in this room that might not have the title of fathers, God, they still model for so many what it looks like to be a dad or a father. God, I pray that they wouldn't take that role lightly either. But God, this morning, I'm thankful that God the Father saw that all His children mattered. And through the book of Acts up to this point, Father, we have seen You coming and going, and You seeking and after those that did not know You. So this morning, Father, I pray that as we continue in Acts chapter 16, as we begin to journey with Paul and Silas and now Timothy, on Paul's second missionary journey, God, I pray this morning that your word would just come alive to us. God, forgive me of any unconfessed sin in my life. Hide me behind your cross this morning. God, use me as a vessel and an instrument for your namesake and for your glory. And God, teach us what you want us to know today. Because God, this is your day. This is your story. This is your plan. And God, we ask all this in Jesus' name, the one we want to be like when we grow up. And all God's people said, hey, this morning, we will continue... In the book of Acts, we'll be in Acts chapter 15, verses 36, all the way to Acts chapter 16, verse 40, and we will dive in there in just a minute, but what you're going to see over the next couple of weeks from Acts 15, 36 to Acts 18, 22, is we will read of Paul's second missionary journey, during which Paul, hear me church, and his companions reached the people of Macedonia and Achaia. Achaia then they will take a brief furlough in Acts 18.22. I got to be honest with you, when I was reading that this week, I've not heard the word furlough in, in a long, long time, but I've probably heard the word furlough in the last three months more than I have in my whole life. And as I was studying this morning, and as I was looking, uh, as I was studying this week, and as I was looking at my commentaries, and I was reading what this second missionary journey looks like, and it says in In Acts 8.22, they'll take a brief furlough, and then they will set out for their third missionary journey. I just saw that word, and I'm like, how interesting to see that word in these times. How interesting to see that word in these days. A furlough is not a bad thing. A furlough sometimes gives us an opportunity to take a break from a from an opportunity or a work or a situation so that we can be better focused to do the job that we've been called to do. But we'll see that in Acts 18 in a few weeks. Luke's description, hear me church, of these trips, however, he will be selective. He doesn't describe the founding of every church. Instead, he presents many of the high points of the journey and he gives us their basic framework. The text this morning under consideration sheds light on the first time that the gospel seed was planted in European soil. Many of you might say, well, why is that so important? I don't know if you know where people came from to start this great nation that we live in, but if the gospel doesn't reach Europe, then the gospel probably doesn't reach us. And so the idea of Acts, the gospel on the move, is that what we're seeing in Acts is we're seeing the gospel moving. But church, what we got to understand this morning is that the gospel can't just move in this book. The gospel has got to continue to move. God had a plan. God had an idea. God had an understanding of how the gospel was going to move. But we will see this morning that it's the first time that the gospel seed was planted on European soil. By the way, while lines between Asia and Europe did not exist in Paul's day, we can see how epic, young person's word, this event really was when we consider it with the benefit of, the, of hindsight in mind. The gospel would eventually spread throughout Europe, and Europe would become a base for missionary outreach around the world, says Stott from the message of Acts in his book. So this morning, when the gospel begins to move toward us we should keep the gospel moving toward others. Amen? Look with me this morning in Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 36. I understand we looked at this text last week, but I just want to remind us, because I think we landed the ship a little quickly last week, and it says in Acts 15, verse 36, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, it'll be on the screens, and after some days, Paul and Barnabas After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark, and Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Palphenilia, or P. Hardword, and had not gone with them to the work and there arose a sharp disagreement. Now, I know that Acts is the first church. Acts is the the church that is beginning to model what churches would look like, and many of us have grown up or been around churches, and we know that there's never been a sharp disagreement in a church. Amen? That means you've never served on a committee. That means you've never been a part of a business meeting. That means you've never been a part of any kind of conversation about what color the carpet should be, what color the wall should be, uh, what kind of bus should we get? Should it be Ford, Chevrolet, or Dodge? I mean, there's never been disagreements in the church. Some of you have never been a part of a church, and this is your first church, and all I can say is... Be thankful for an elder-led church because most of the arguments that take place in this church, you don't have to see them. But trust me, they happen. And arguments are not always bad. Church, if we agreed about everything, we probably wouldn't get anywhere. But disagreements sometimes lead us to a greater opportunity to do greater ministry. But we see where it says right here, it says in verse... 38, or excuse me, 39, and there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commanded by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicily, strengthening the churches. And I said, Sicily, it's probably Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Here's what I want to see. Here's what I want you to see. That is the beginning of the second missionary journey for Paul. And the reason that second missionary journey is so important is we've seen the gospel go from Jews to Gentiles, and now the gospel is going to continue to move, church. And what I want us to see this morning, and what I think God is trying to allow us to see in the book of Acts, is that the gospel never quits moving. This morning, we celebrated about what God is doing with the gospel in Hawaii, and many would look at Jay and go, oh man, you're suffering. Do you realize that 98% of the islands are unchurched? 98% of the islands are unchurched in Hawaii. So many people there lost and don't know Jesus, but the gospel must keep moving. When we planted Community Church seven, almost seven years ago, will be seven years ago, this coming up November, when we had our first information meeting, I want you to understand, church, that we saw a number of people not knowing Christ in Lafayette County at the the number of 78 percent, seven years ago. So I can only guarantee you that it's gotten worse. And some of you are like, there's no way. Folks, I'm not talking about people that go to church. I'm talking about people that are the church. Lots of people go to church, but they don't know Jesus. Lots of people know the name of Jesus, but they don't know him as Savior and Lord. Lots of people want them to be as, want him to be their Savior, but they don't know him as King of kings and Lord of lords and master of their life. But I want us to look at this morning because the second journey of Paul's mission, missionary journey started there in Acts chapter 15. And wouldn't you know that it would start with a sharp disagreement. However. These men chose to agree to disagree, and God did something beautiful in that disagreement. Did you see what happened? Instead of Paul and Barnabas just going on one journey, now you got Paul and Silas going on one journey, and you got Barnabas and John Mark going on one journey. So guess what? Now we've multiplied our efforts of the gospel going forth, and and, and what's so beautiful about that is, is that in the book of Acts, what we see is that we no longer add, but we multiply we no longer add, but we multiply. So pick up with me this morning in Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe in the Lystria, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Listeria in Iconium, and Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was Greek. They went on their way through the cities. They delivered to them for observance the decision that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they in, increased in numbers daily. Another word for the word increased, they multiplied daily. Church, I want to stop there first. In Acts chapter 16, the first thing I want us to see is, is that there is, a, there is a, the gospel is now going to reach Philippi. Okay, the gospel is now going to reach Philippi, but there are some things that have got to take place before that happens. Okay, the first thing that has to take place is is Paul has a new missionary companion. Okay, this is where young Timothy comes on the scene. Is here in books in the book of Acts, and what we'll see is is Timothy will actually go with Paul to many many places. Timothy will actually have a book. Okay written to him because paul's discipleship process in the life of timothy is the greatest biblical model biblical model of discipleship next to that of jesus and the disciples if we don't get paul and timothy's relationship the gospel will not go forth but I just want you to know, I'm reading this this week, and as we looked at Acts chapter 15, they came to an understanding that, that, that even though some of the Jews, just a way of reminder this morning, even in, some of the Jews thought that it was important that the Gentiles be circumcised, they came to an understanding that that didn't have to happen. And then we roll up in Acts chapter 16, and all of a sudden, what's the first thing Paul says to Timothy? Hey man, you want to go with me? Great, but you got to be circumcised. I got to do What? Paul, are you for real? Like, I, I, I heard the word, man. I heard that doesn't have to happen. The difference here is, is this, and I, I don't want us to miss this, okay? Timothy, okay, Timothy accompanied him, and he took with him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for all knew that his father was a Greek. Here's the reason that Timothy, Paul felt like it was important for Timothy to be circumcised because Timothy, Paul did not want there to be an excuse for the listeners there not to listen to Paul and Timothy because they knew who Timothy's dad was. Church, I just want to ask you a question this morning. Does it surprise anybody that we would land in Acts chapter 16 on Father's Day And Paul would say to Timothy, because of who your father is, that affects who you are. I can't tell you how many times I left my house and my daddy said, son, you better remember who you're representing. More or less what he was saying was, you better remember who your daddy is because your daddy's probably going to find out what you did before you get home. And if you did something you weren't supposed to, then your daddy's going to wear you out when you get home. I know some of us don't know the terminology of wearing you out, okay? That's when you would actually take off a belt, pick up a switch, or do something to discipline your child with the rod, okay? I'm not saying that I promote, but just ask my boys about it and they'll let you know where we stand in Abbeville, okay? Where we live at. What he was saying was his son, not only do you represent yourself, you represent me. And that's what Paul is saying here to Timothy. He's saying, Timothy, I understand that you think that this is, this. I mean, if I'm Timothy, I'm going, Paul, I think we're making a mistake. Like, why I got to do this? We're not talking about a baby. We're talking about a grown man but it was important hear me church it was important for this hat to happen because verse 4 says as they went on their way through cities they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem so the churches were strengthened in faith and they were increased in numbers daily when we see this other command com- companion added Traveling east to west this time, Paul and Silas arrive in Listeria and Derby and they encounter a young Listerian named Timothy who stands out to Paul. Church, I want to ask you a question. Are you standing out for the gospel? Are you standing out for the gospel? Would people notice that you were a believer? goes on and says the boy's father was an unbelieving Greek and his mother and grandmother were Jewish and brought him up to know the Scriptures. These two ladies, along with Timothy, probably became Christians during Paul's first missionary journey. And Timothy apparently displayed tremendous spiritual maturity. As a result, Paul desires that this young man accompany him to Silas. But Paul has Timothy circumcised out of sensitivity to a Jewish audience. Some think that maybe the reason Paul had this done was to be sensitive to the Jewish audience, but some think that Paul still was caught up about the fact that John Mark caught a quick timeout and ran home on his last missionary journey, and so therefore that's the reason he wouldn't take John Mark. So he more or less wanted to see see if Timothy was really committed to the faith. He wanted to see if Timothy was really willing to do whatever it takes to be a companion on this missionary journey. And all I would say is, is if I was Timothy, Mr. Paul, I think we can figure out another way to show you that I'm committed. However, Paul would say later in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 22, Paul would say later in 1 Corinthians 9, 22, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. And then he says a a famous line to the church of Corinth. He says, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Church, what we see here is, is for the church and for the gospel to go to Europe, for the church, for the gospel to reach Philippi, for there to be a church in Philippi, we have to see that there is a huge, huge thing that takes place. In time, Timothy's Jew-Greek background would allow him to bridge different cultures effectively. But in this moment, he needed to be seen as someone who was committed to following Christ. This is huge. A wonderful relationship developed between Timothy and Paul because why? Paul saw Timothy was devoted to the gospel. Church, we need some Timothys in our churches today. He saw not only was Paul willing to become all things to all people, Timothy was willing to become all things to all people. Our goal, after all, isn't to press our culture on another culture, but to press the gospel in various cultures. I'll say that again because I think it's relevant for our day Platt says our goal after all isn't to press our culture on another culture, but to press the gospel into various cultures. Church, we have a great opportunity in a world that is so divided to be able to say you you might be right or you might be wrong, but even if you're wrong, can I tell you something? There's a hope for your wrongness and it's called Jesus. There's grace for the moment. It's called Jesus. And church, I pray this morning as we look at Acts chapter 16, we would see that it's so important. We also, know exactly, we also know exactly that there was a reasoning for them to separate. And we'll pick up in Acts chapter 16, verse 6. Look at what it says. And they went through the region... Gaia, and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mesa or Mysa, they attempted to go to Beth- 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 Bethania, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysa or Mesa, they went down to Taurus. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia. And help us. And when Paul had seen a vision, when Paul had seen a vision, or when, and then a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and a man of Macedonia stand there urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And verse 10 says, And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Church, I want to hear, I want you to hear me say this this morning. There are many people who like to say that they are responding to the Macedonia call today. And many churches say, I'm going to go to this place or that place, and I'm going to do work because I hear the call of Macedonia. But what we don't understand is is that here in Acts chapter 16, we see that there was absolutely no work in Macedonia, but because they had heard of the gospel, they cried out that the gospel would come to them. And what did Paul do? He responded to them. I ask you to pray, church that God would open our ears and our eyes and that we would hear where God's calling us to take the gospel to where there is no gospel. Another thing I want us to see, I don't want us to rush over this, verse 6 says, they went through this region and having been, been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. We don't see how they were forbidden, we don't see why they were forbidden, but what we do see, church, is that they were forbidden. I don't know if you know this, but when God shuts one door, what does he do? He opens up another. I love it when people say, well, the gospel's reached the end. The gospel stops. Only the gospel stops is when we allow it to stop. And then I want you to see verse 11. So setting sail... From Torres, we made the direct voyage to the uh, and they fought the following day to Napolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city for some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate and she prevailed upon us. It's about to pick up pretty quickly, but something I want to point out this morning. First of all, we're going to see three converts in the rest of Acts 16, and I've got to preach through this quickly, so don't miss it. Number one, Lydia. Her ethnicity, she's Asian. Economically, she's wealthy. Spiritually, she's a God-fearer, and her, the event is that there's a public exposition. What we see here is, is that in Philippi, there is no church. There is no place of worship, so the people who trust God have found a place of prayer outside the city gates, and so they went there where people were praying because usually when people are praying, that's a good place to start. They meet this woman, and she comes to know Christ. Why? Check this out, church. Verse 14. When one who one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of T a hard word, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. What I need you to understand this morning is, is that the way we know she's wealthy is because she was a seller of purple goods, and purple goods in that day were expensive. We know that she was a worshiper of God. Why? Because she was at a prayer meeting. But it doesn't necessarily mean that she was a worshiper of the true God. And then I want you to see the next part of verse 14. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Church, can I ask you a question? Has God ever opened your heart so that you might pay attention to what God has to say to you? And maybe this morning, you need to ask God to open your heart so that you might be able to pay attention to what God would have to say to you through Paul. But God opened her heart. Here's what I want you to see this morning. Yes, we are saved by grace, but if God doesn't open your heart, you can't be saved. It is God who opens your heart. It is God who opens your mind. It's God that opens you up to the understanding. I love it when people say, man, if it wasn't for me, I wouldn't be saved. I'm not saying that you don't have to have, that that there's not a part in the transaction of you confessing Christ. But if Christ didn't seek you first, you would never have the opportunity to confess Christ in the first place. Here's what I want you to see about this. God loved us so much to what? To seek us, to open our minds Verse 15, and after she was baptized, her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me, be faithful to the Lord and come to my house and stay. And and she prevailed upon us. Look at verse 16. Don't worry, they're just moving up here to start playing and I'm not anywhere close, so they'll just play for a little longer, but they're doing what I told them to do. Verse 16 says, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl. So first we see Lydia come to know Christ. Christ. Now we're about to see a slave girl encounter Christ. Look at what it says through Paul and and, and Timothy and Silas. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had the spirit of deviation and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaimed you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her and at the And it came out that very hour. I don't know how many of you saw that, but verse 17 says, She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. I want you to understand something, that that would sound like a pretty good message, right? The problem is, is that that message is bringing attention to the leaders of that community, that these men are with Jesus. And at that particular time, and it seems like we're getting back to that time, Jesus is offensive. So this spirit is crying out, these men, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And then that's what I want to see. And I don't know if you've ever annoyed anybody because you were proclaiming the way of salvation. But it says, Paul, greatly annoyed with her in verse 18, turned and said to, her, to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. But when her owners saw that Their hope of gain was gone. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city or disrupting our city. Church, I so pray that the gospel would move so much in Oxford, Lafayette County, and Ole Miss that people would call us disruptors. That the Spirit of God would move so much that people would say, they're disrupting our city. They're disrupting our town. Verse 21, the advocate customs, they are are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave them orders to beat them with rods. What I want you to see from the first missionary journey to the second missionary journey is that it's still going to be Painful. The gospel moving will be painful. In verse 23 says, And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So here's what I want you to see. First, Lydia comes to know Christ. Now a slave girl's come to know Christ. Lydia was an Asian. The slave girl was a native Greek. Lydia was wealthy. The slave girl was poor. Spiritually, Lydia was a God-fearer. The slave girl was a tormented by evil spirits. The event was a public exposition for Lydia. The slave girl was an ex- a dramatic exorcism. And then finally, there's the jailer. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I don't know if you've ever been locked up. I'm not going to tell you about my experience. It's only been one. I didn't stay locked up long, but I did something that was not very smart in my teenage days. A man pressed charges on me, so I got put in jail. They said I had to call my father. I don't know if you heard the part of the story early, but when I left my house, my dad said that I represented him. I wasn't calling my daddy. But when I was in jail, I wasn't singing and praising God. I was scared to death that I knew at any moment my daddy was about to walk in that jail and he about to beat me in front of everybody. But what are these men doing? They're locked up. They're in the inner jail. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. You see, church, the world thinks that they can lock down the gospel. But even when God puts you in jail, you can be used as a minister of the gospel. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in and trembled with fear, and he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Church, I don't know if you know this or not, but when you're preaching the gospel to a certain group of people, there are hearers that actually hear that gospel, and God opens their minds and opens their hearts too as well to the gospel. These men had been beaten. They had been, they had been beaten with rods. They had been thrown into jail. They're singing and praising God. An earthquake happens. God releases them from their shackles, and all of a sudden, they got a chance to run away, but they don't leave because God ordained that moment for what? So that the jailer might come to know Christ. And look at what it says. Verse 30, and then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all to who were in his house, and he took them that same, them the same hour at the night of the night, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, and he and all his family, and then he brought them up in, to his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So you see Lydia an Asian, the slave girl, a native Greek, the jailer, a Roman. Lydia was wealthy. The slave girl was poor. The jailer was a blue collar. Spiritually, Lydia was a God-fearer. The slave girl was tormented by evil spirits. Jailer was a practical and indifferent. The events, Lydia, public exposition, slave girl, dramatic exorcism, and the jailer of powerful miracles and examples. Pick up with me in verse 35. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sinned to let you go, therefore come out and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly and uncondemned men who are Roman citizens have thrown us into prison. And do they not now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The gospel is still moving, church. The police reported these words to the magistrates. They were afraid, and they, when they heard, they were Roman citizens, so they came and apologized to them. They took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. Went out from the prison and, and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Church, here's what I want you to see. is that the gospel is moving here in Acts chapter 15 and 16. And I get this morning in closing that every single one of us make excuses about why we don't see the gospel moving. Can I just ask a quick question this morning? Has any of you been beaten for the gospel? I don't see any hands going up. I'm just checking. Have any of you been thrown in jail for the gospel? I don't see any hands going up. But church, are we not the biggest excuse makers on the planet of why we won't share the gospel? You know, in the midst of a pandemic, you know that we can share the gospel? Why? Because it doesn't matter if it's lung cancer, Jay, or if it's a disease called COVID-19. The answer, the healing power of Jesus is still the only hope that we have. That's the gospel amongst division and chaos, racial divide and and a government that's so divided that they can't even agree on anything anymore. Church, the hope is not found in government. The hope is found in Jesus. Our goal, our responsibility is to love God and to love people and we can't even get that right. But don't you miss it. The gospel is that. That God loved his people so much that he sent his son to be born of a virgin, to live 33 years so that we might have an example, to die a death that we could not die, to pay a price we could not pay, and to overcome death in the resurrection so that we would have a hope. And he simply said a new commandment, I give you to love each other in the way that I've loved you. And that's what you see Paul do with Lydia. That's what you see Paul and Silas do with the slave girl. That's what you see Paul and Silas do with the jailer. Every opportunity, church, they could have said, poor pitiful me, look what what happened to me. Not one time did they do that. They kept moving, and the gospel kept moving. Why? Because the gospel's got to move. And you know who moves the gospel? People. So church, I'm going to ask you to stand. And I'm going to ask you that if you truly desire to continue the work that Jesus started, to continue the work that the disciples started, to continue the work and the mission that Paul and Silas and Timothy and Barnabas and John Mark started, then we have got to love God and love people. And it doesn't matter if those people are wealthy. It doesn't matter hence Lydia. It doesn't matter if they're poor, hence the slave girl. It doesn't matter if they're blue collar, hence the jailer. What matters is, is that the gospel is for everyone. It doesn't matter if they're Greek or they're Jew. It doesn't matter if they're Roman. It doesn't matter if they're slave or if they're free or if they're male or female. And this is really going to freak you out. It doesn't matter if they're Republican or Democrat. It doesn't matter if they're black or white. It doesn't matter anything. Anything, what matters is, is, that God loved you and I enough for the gospel to come after us, to pursue us. So therefore, we must take the gospel and to pursue those around us, period. Amen? So what's our excuse? Church, I am convinced in the days that we live in that it's only going to get worse. But I praise God today that God's love for me is that he'll leave the 99 to come after the one. That his love is so reckless for me that there's no wall that he won't kick down. There's no mountain that he won't climb up to come after you and to come after me. But church, if that is true and that is the gospel, then why won't we do those things for others? Will you pray with me? Father God, I ask you this morning that you would reveal yourself to us in your Word. God, that you would reveal, us, reveal yourself to us in your song. God, that as you reveal yourself to us in your word this morning, as you reveal yourself to us in the song this morning, God, I pray that we would quit making excuses. As the great Tony Dungy says, no excuses, no explanation. God, there is no excuse for us not loving God and loving people. God, there's no excuse of why we don't love God and we don't love people. God, I pray this morning that we would see that the gospel moved into Europe and eventually the gospel moved from Europe to Asia. And God, eventually the gospel came to where we live now. And God, you want the gospel to continue to move. But God, if there's someone here today kind of like the jailer who asked the question, what must I do to be saved? God, I pray that they would just cry out to Jesus this morning. And Your Word says that You know the hearts of man. You judge their hearts, not anything else. May today be the hour of salvation. But God, may also today be a day that we say we're going to lay all the excuses at the altar. And we're going to run after every... Demographic. We're going to run after every race. We're going to run after every political party. We're going to run after every single person because that is the gospel. So, God, have your way in these moments. God, fill us up with your presence. Allow us to respond to you this morning in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, church, the, the, the team is about to lead us in a song called Reckless Love. It's a song that was introduced to us a few years ago. The gist of the writer of this song says that God's love is reckless for us because Luke in his first book would say that Jesus would leave the 99 sheep to go after the one that was astray. And church, I don't know if you know this or not, but sometimes we're a part of the 99, but most of the time we're the one that's gone astray, and God runs after us. The greatest father gift that we could give our heavenly father today is that we would be like him and we would run after those who have gone astray. Not with condemnation, not with judgment, not with your wrong, but with love. Because that's what God did for us. Guys, the altar will be available. I'll be available. But you can respond right where you are. If you don't know Jesus, this is the hour of salvation. If you're making excuses, just say simply to the Lord with this, with this statement, no more excuses. My name is Fish Robinson. I'm the lead pastor here at Community Church Oxford. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Community Church Oxford podcast. We hope that you'll consider joining us again in the future. Until then, God bless.